Good morning. I'll be sharing today. I don't know if you read the passage for today or not, but when I read it, the first thing that came into my mind was, this is the New Testament? Well, And I began to sort of reflect because James, James just feels different. It does feel more Old Testament-like. And I remembered from my, my teaching, I don't know how this popped up, but Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 16th century, was not a fan of James. In fact, would wonder out loud, why is it even in the Bible? Yeah, interesting. Called it the straw epistle, actually. And the name Jesus is only found twice in the book of James, in chapter 1, chapter 2, and that's it. But if you know the teachings of Jesus, you see it throughout James. James is basically his, James's take on the Sermon on the Mount. And you see it over and over and over again, which is, which is great. See, Martin Luther was a fan of Paul. Not that Paul and Jesus are in competition with each other, but, but the word grace only appears two times in the whole Gospels, where Paul was all about grace. Jesus was all about mercy. And we try to differentiate the two, but they're really two sides of the same coin. But James is really taking the voice of Jesus and putting it in the midst of the epistles, and we're not used to hearing that voice. We have the Gospels, and then we move into all the other stuff. And so some of you maybe feel, might feel the same way from time to time. It's like, this doesn't fit. Yeah, you're right. It's a little different. But it's Jesus' voice through his brother speaking and contextualizing Sermon on the Mount for us. So Jesus is about justice. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So first slide should be up. Jesus and justice. And Jesus is all about the kingdom of God. That is the central message of Jesus. There's two kingdoms, the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of God. Jesus is about the kingdom of God, which is very different than that of the world. And today, as we look at our passage, we're going to see some of the differences there. Jesus was about championing the causes of the poor, the imprisoned, the blind, the oppressed, which is the same message of the Old Testament. And we see that throughout the book of James as well. You know, not regarding others as, as more important than someone else. Not giving preference to, to the rich. Jesus is about righteousness and justice. And one of the downfalls of the interpretation of the New Testament in terms of the Gospels is in the Gospels, the word righteousness, the Greek word for righteousness, is, can be translated at any point, justice or righteousness. The person who decides is the person who's making the interpretation. So at any moment... Like, blessed are, the poor, uh, blessed, are, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. That could be just as accurately translated, hunger and thirst after justice. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That could easily be translated justice. And what's happened in the writings of Jesus is we've, we've taken this, we've, we've removed the kingdom perspective and gone to a personal piety perspective. So personal piety is about my righteousness. It's about am I living the right life, which is not contrary to justice, but it's one side of that coin. That if I am a righteous person, I will pursue justice, not for my sake, but for the sake of those around me. And I think we've done a disservice to the gospel and thus to the church because we haven't given voice to Jesus was a champion of justice. And yes, following him personally, but in the context of the kingdom of God, the reign of God on earth, the now and not yet of the kingdom. 37 times in the synoptics, and not counting parallel passages, 37 different times Jesus confronts those who are in authority, those who have power, and says, hey, this isn't right. The cleansing of the temple, that was a huge social construct for the, the Jewish faith. And he cleanses the temple and also speaks prophecy against the temple. Hey, this is not going to stand. Jesus, like we see in James, 
was a person that was about justice. Justice for the oppressed, justice for the disenfranchised. And, and James is really calling us back to that. Not just a personal piety, but a concern for the community, our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also the greater world. James and Jesus agree on this. The bottom line is to love and trust God. People, all people, are created in the image of God, thus having dignity and worth. So we're to love people. And faith is seen by the fruit of our lives. That's James in, in chapter 2. Look at, look at my life and you will see my faith. And so, so there's, there's much agreement between James and Jesus. And so when we read James, remember, this is really the Gospels sneaking into the rest of the New Testament. And so here's, let's go to the next slide. This is from... Earlier on in James, James chapter 1, it says this, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he sees. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Today we're going to look at four different mirrors and hopefully see our reflection in them and ask the question, God, what are you showing me about myself in this mirror? Let's pray. God, as we look at the mirror of your word, we ask that you would give us courage to not look away, but to look deeply into that mirror and allow your word to look deeply into our hearts revealing any hurtful ways in us, revealing invitations, challenges to change, to become more of who you've created and called us to be. We thank you that your word is living and active. And so may it have that effect, that impact on our life today. And may what we take, what we hear, what we see today influence our lives in the days, weeks, and years to come. We offer ourselves and this service to you, praying all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, here's the passage that we're looking at in case you haven't read it. So what I'd like you to do is just read it right now. Just not out loud, just to yourselves. Then we'll read it together so that it begins to sort of, you know, like Max said, um, sink within us. We're going to look at it a couple times. Okay, let's read it together. Now listen, you rich people, reading together, like you guys are reading out loud now. <laughs> All right, we'll start over. Sorry, sorry that was not clear. So we will be reading together now. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one. Amen. So you can see, doesn't that sound like the Old Testament? It's like, oh my gosh, he's just letting us have it. Yeah, and 
And yet, Jesus says pretty much these things. Not in the same ways, but let's look at the passage in the next slide. Now listen. And let's stop right there. James 1.19 says we need to be quick to listen. When I first read this passage, well, one of the first things I did after the other thing they said was, well, this isn't me. I'm not rich. You know, I, I don't, you know, I don't have people that, I don't have all this luxury, this self-indulgence. Um, so it's like, nah, this doesn't, this doesn't have anything to do with me. Man, those rich people, those one percenters, yeah, we need to tax them more. We need to, they need to get, get in line. But no, we need to listen. What is, what is the message to me? God, what are you saying to me? Because this is, this is a message to the church. See, the prophets, we can sort of distance ourselves. Oh, that's Israel, a bunch of, bunch of idiots. Like, they don't know what they're doing. We got Jesus now. It's like, now this is James speaking to us. So be quick, to slow, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. We can get angry at this. How dare James say such a thing? You rich people weep and wail. And in, in James 4, 9, James says the same thing. We're to grieve, we're to mourn, we're to wail. Those who are well off. And Luke says the same thing in Luke chapter 6. When he's taught, when they're the woes to the rich people. So again, we see this, this, this continuation of Jesus and James. Because of the misery that is coming on you, your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Well, that's Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Where are you going to store up your, your treasures? Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in? Your gold and your silver are corroded. Their corrosion, and this, these words hit me hard, will testify against you. Will testify against you. There's a, there was a movie called Schindler's List. It's pretty old now. Some of you probably, you know, you probably watched it, right? I started watching it after finished. Yeah, it's one of those kinds of movies. At the very end of the movie, if we get there, um, Schindler is, is looking at his possessions. He's looking at his watch. He's looking at his ring. And he's saying, if I would have sold this, I could have saved another Jew. If I could have got rid of this, I could have saved three more Jews. And, and he had... He had made huge sacrifices, save all the Jews that he did. But it was really a, a, in that moment, there was even the wealth he still had was testifying against him. And when I, when I came across that passage, and I had to admit, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not poor. I got extra stuff lying around. And what am I using it for? What am I using my resources for? Resources for? Not just time, but also my money, my, my, my skills, those kinds of things. Are my riches testifying against me or are they testifying for me? And eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay to the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. That reminded me of Genesis chapter 4, where Abel is killed by Cain, and God says, the blood of your brother is crying out against you. It's the same, that same kind of thing. It's like, oh my goodness. The cries are the cries of the poor coming to God because of my unwillingness to share what I have. My willingness to turn a blind eye to those who are in need, to those those who, who maybe God is inviting me to help. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord God, Lord Almighty, which reminds me of Exodus chapter 3, 7, where God says, I have heard your cries, says to Israel, as they are enslaved, have been enslaved at that point for 400 years. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. And J James already talked about that in James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. So again, this theme of, of the, da the danger of riches, and not just, you know, it doesn't say, and we'll get to this verse in a minute, but it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. 
A lot of times that's how we quote it. Money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. That's a very different place to be. We, you need money to survive. It's the way it is. But do we love that money? Does that become our God? Does it become, become our security? Does it become where we look to, to, to find trust and comfort and the things that need to come to us from God? You have fattened yourself. Okay, that seemed a little personal to me. Um, <laughs> but I said, don't be slow to anger. All right. Um, you have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing, was not opposing you. And of course, that's James 1.5. And that reminded me, because it's like, I haven't, really, I haven't killed anybody. Um, but it reminded me of the teachings of Jesus. Jesus, when he speaks of anger, and he says, if you've called your brother a fool, if you have acted toward your brother in those kinds of ways, out of anger, you have, in a sense, murdered him in your heart. So here we see again the echo of the Sermon on the Mount in James chapter 5. So now, let's go to the next slide. Oh yeah, so just a summary. You have hoarded wealth, failed to pay, lived in luxury, self-indulgence, fattened yourself. I didn't really want to put that in, but I did. Condemned and murdered. And then the next slide. And then the next slide. So here's a question for you. We've, we've, we've looked at this passage for a bit now. Who's James talking to? Who is the focus of this passage? So this would be another interactive time. Sorry, I got a splinter in my foot. So crazy. Look, can't even see it, but that's the pain it causes. Anyway, so who's the focus of this passage? You know, put the passage back up and I can just tell them the questions. Just go back one. We're rich people? Well, that is actually part of the focus. Who else, though? That's what we want to limit it to. And then say, that's not me. Who else is it talking to? Everyone. Okay, everyone? Who else is God's focus? Right, those who found their security. What? Right, exactly. It's both. It's not just the rich people. It's not just about the rich people. It's not just about condemnation. It's about justice for those who have been taken advantage of. See, God stands with the poor. God stands with the oppressed. That God doesn't play favorites in the sense of showing partiality, loves everyone the same, but he is the champion of, in the Old Testament, it's the, the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. Jesus puts it as the poor, the oppressed, the blind, and the prisoner. But the same categories. Those are disenfranchised. Those who, who are disregarded. Those who have no voice. See, rich people, people in power, they have voices. They have the ability to change things. The poor don't. In fact, in, in Proverbs 19.17, it says if you... If you Give or are generous, it says. If you are generous to the poor, you are lending to God, and God will repay you. Isn't that something? That as we give to the least of these, as Jesus says, we do it to Jesus. Proverbs 19, 17. There's another passage earlier in Proverbs. It says, it's um, Proverbs 17, 5. It says, he who mocks the poor insults God. Flips it on its head. Like, whoa. Jesus stands, God stands, the triune God stands with and for the poor. So this passage is not just look at the you know, rich people, beware, but also, hey, you who are pressed, there's hope that God sees you. God is owning your plight. And God is championing your cause. What is this passage communicating about who God is? Well, I sort of answered that. Who God, who's, who's God's concern? It's, it's for the, the downcast. 
And a lot of times we read, we read the passage as if we're the oppressed. We read passages as we're, if we're the oppressed, we're prisoners, we're blind. And in a sense, we are, we're to be poor in spirit. But in another sense, no. No, we are part of the system that actually works for us. And that's the way it is. But what are we going to do? How are we going to leverage that in our own lives for the sake of others? What, who are the masters of the rich, powerful in this passage? And so I'll just answer that one. It's their riches. It's their security. It's their comfort. It's all those things that they feel they need to the degree that they're going to step on the lives of others. They're not going to pay back. They're not going to, to, to give a worker, worker their due. They're going to be about themselves. Again, that's totally against Jesus who did not regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptying himself. And before that, that's verse 5, verse 3 and 4 says, do nothing of, of selfishness or empty conceit, but humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Let's go to slide 5. A quote. Is that the quote? Yep. Evil finds its almost perfect camouflage in the agreements of the group when it appears personally advantageous. Evil finds its perfect camouflage in the silent agreements of the group when it appears personally advantageous. We do not see the true shape of evil or recognize how we are fully complicit in it. It will fully control us. We cannot recognize it or overcome it as isolated individuals, mostly because it is held together by a group consensus. And that is the power of the church, not us as individuals, but us coming together against injustice. Us as a church being aunties and uncles and being a place of refuge, not just one family, but multiple families in the church that can be that place that, that people can come to for need when they're struggling. So we as a group are making a difference. Yeah, they're individuals, but, but as we've seen, especially with, with, with Casey and her family, hey, I need help. And we've gathered around them to do what they couldn't do by themselves, we we're able to do again together. There's another quote I came across last night I was reading. It says, evil settles into everyday life when people are unable or unwilling to recognize it. It makes it, home, it makes it home among us when we are keen to minimize it or describe it as something else. Let me read that again. Evil settles into everyday life when people are unable or unwilling to recognize it. It makes it home, it's home among us when we are keen to minimize it or describe it as something else. We live in a world that seeks to transform us 24 hours a day into its image, Romans 12.2. We have the person of Christ within us that's seeking to transform us 24-7 into who we are as members of the kingdom of God. So there is a battle that is raging around us and sometimes within us. And yet, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We are victorious in that battle. So that, that it's not only our own stuff we have to deal with, but no, we can have victory in that so that we can go out and be salt and light in the world. To be a, be a, a force for Christ in the world. Next slide. Cornell West says this. I love this quote. Justice is the public face of love. If we are loving, we are going to seek justice for people. That's what love looks like when it's lived out in everyday life. There's another quote that says this, the Christian life is as simple and challenging as this, to love God and to love that which God loves. To love God and love that which God loves. This is the central meaning of faith. And not just love as an as a emotion, but love as an action. So next slide. So there's four themes that we find in the book of Isaiah and the Gospels 
that I believe actually are embedded in our passage. The injustice of grief and justice for the poor. Remember, this is not just speaking against the rich, but it's also speaking on behalf of the poor. The injustice of domination, the injustice of violence, the injustice of exclusion from community. This, this is from Kingdom Ethics. And this is four, four battles that God is, is dealing with in the world, and hopefully in and through us as well. Against greed, against domination, against violence, against the exclusion from community. So those are the mirrors I want to look at in terms of our passage today. So let's go to the next slide. The first mirror is the, the mirror of injustice, of greed, justice for the poor. Greed is a selfish and excessive desire for more of something, such as money, that then is, then is needed. So we have needs. We have real needs. That's okay. But you may need $100. You don't need maybe a million dollars. Probably don't need a million dollars. So it's, it's, it's more than that. There was a book my wife and I were reading. I think it was called Everything You Needed to Know About the Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius. It's a long title. But he had, one, he had this one thing in there. He said, if you have clothes in your closet they haven't worn in a year, they don't belong to you anymore. There's someone who needs those clothes. And I had clothes in my closet that I hadn't worn in more than a year. So did Donna. Oh, by the way, Donna and I were married, have been married 44 years as of yesterday. Yeah. It was mostly her wanting to stay. Um, <laughs> you know. But anyway... So both of us went through our closet and got rid of all these clothes. Because, yeah, that made sense. Like, why are we hanging on to these things? But that's what we do. That's what we do. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. We can serve money and God. We cannot serve money and God. And then the passage I was talking about earlier, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so the question, oh, next, there's the next slide. Oh yeah, ask God, there's a question. Ask God to reveal to you if greed is present in your life. So here's the mirror we're looking at, the mirror of greed. Just take a second and if I got into this place, say, God, is there an area where I tend to be greedy? It's not about condemnation, it's about awareness. That's what's so great about God. God loves us and the story. So when God shows us something, it's actually something to be thankful for because it means it's a place of unfreedom. When we're, when we're free, the more free we are from these things, from these attachments, these, these idols they used to be called, then we're, we can love more freely. So ask God to reveal if there's any greed in your life. If God reveals something, it's not about condemnation, but an invitation into greater freedom. So we never have to be ashamed of something that God shows us. It's like, all right, God, what are we going to do with this? So that's the first mirror that we want to look into, the mirror of greed. And our society is sort of based on greed, Capitalism is you got to buy more and more stuff. If you don't have this thing, my wife was listening to a scientific podcast, and at the end of it, they want you to buy something, and they say if you, if you buy it in the next hour, you can get it for this price if you don't. So it's, it's trying to create like, hey, you need to have this, but you need to make your decision now. And that's how, that's how sales works. That's how the world works. But to, to, to just name that, it's like, yeah, in certain areas, I can be greedy. And then we invite God into that. Because God is, God is more than happy to meet us in those places. As a family, a number of years ago now, as you get older, it just sort of all goes together. Seems like yesterday, but it's probably like 15, 20 years ago. Um, we started doing this thing called Bonus Christmas. Because Christmas, I was like, this is it, we're done. So I, I created bonus Christmas. 
Guy's a youth pastor, so I can do that kind of stuff. Um, so we were going to have Christmas after Christmas. And what we did was we just, I came up with crazy games we would play, and then you would win money. So yeah, like real money. I know. And then at the end, there were organizations that you would give that money to. And the money was the same amount that we spent on presents. Because like, why are we doing this? We really don't need anything. There are people who do. There's organizations that do. And so we would, they would get to choose out of those organizations um, what they wanted to give their money to. And, then, and I talk about each of the organizations with them. And they, and they didn't have to give it all to one. They decided how they, would, how they would do it. But that was a way to say, okay, let's not make it this just about us. And then, then as my, our kids got older and then they had jobs and now they're out on their own. I don't know how many years ago, again, who knows, but let's say seven years ago. For Christmas, we built a, uh, or we paid to have built a well in Malawi. That's going to be our present. We are going to have a well that we funded the entire thing for. And it's not that much. It's only a couple thousand dollars, actually. Um, But that's what we did that Christmas. But as we begin to name greed and see it, and it's not a big thing, it's not anything someone's going to point out, but that was God's conviction on my heart. It's like, no, this isn't, we need to do something. So I'm not saying for you to do that. I'm just saying be open to the, the possibility that God may show you something that you've never thought of, maybe even as greed. And that's okay. Actually, that's a good thing. Okay, next slide. The injustice of domination. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over you, over, lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servants. So the opposite of domination. Jesus invites us not to dominate, but to serve. It goes on and says, Jesus called them together. You know that those who are regarded as rulers and Gentiles lorded over you. And exercise authority over them. Not so for you. Instead, whoever wants to be great, so if you want to be great, you must be, your, you must be the servant. And whoever wants to be first needs to be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. Give his life a ransom for many. And a classic example is Jesus washing the feet of his disciples and says, go and do likewise. Domination. It's easy to use power to get people to at least initially do what we want them to do. So the question is, the mirror that we're looking into is the mirror domination. The question is, how are you using your power, platforms, connections, resources on behalf of the marginalized? Because in this room, we are people of power. Maybe not extraordinary power, but we have power. Right after uh, the George Floyd murder, I did a couple um, national podcasts for spiritual directors on, okay, how do you deal with people in this, in this time? I did one, um, one maybe a month after, and then one a couple months after. And then I was, con- con- well, actually, the second one was international, but um, then I was contacted by a group in Atlanta and said, hey, would you do a, a um, forum for us around racism. And I said, I would if a friend of mine, Brenda, could do it also, because she's a black woman. And then once I got her to do it, I tried to get out of it, but they wouldn't let me. Um, <laughs> but she wouldn't have, been, she wouldn't have been, invited, been invited otherwise, even though she's, a, she's an author in her own right. And now, now I think she would be invited, but back then, not so much. But that was me saying, okay, no, I'm going to, to use the power I have. They're, they're asking me, I'm going to ask someone else who isn't going to be asked. And, not, and I don't have very much power, but we all do have power. The power of a smile, the power of a glass of water, the power of a conversation to lift someone up, to come alongside someone. But I had never thought of that before, actually. 
Like, oh yeah, I do have power. Because none of us really probably feel powerful. But in our places where we do have power, you know, our two Twitter followers, that's still power. Like, how do I use that? Instagram, how do I use that? Facebook, I'm very intentional on how I use Facebook. And I, have, I don't have hundreds or thousands of, thousands of followers. But I'm going to try to make a difference. I'm going to try to lift up others. The injustice of domination, domination, there's no place in the church for that. We're to serve. We're to give our life as Jesus did on, on behalf of others. Okay, the next mirror. The injustice of violence. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? And what they saw was people rejecting Jesus. So the disciples were, let's just kill them. You know, very, very Christ-like. And Jesus responds and rebuked them. You know, so even, even they would be, rebu- be rebuked from time to time. Then his, disciples, then his disciples went to another village. Jesus says, put your sword back to Peter. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot appeal, Jesus is talking to my father, who would promptly send 12 legions of angels to my defense? Jesus was not one given to violence. And some people believe that the beatitude, blessed are the meek, that meek is Jesus' word for nonviolence. Like Jesus was committed not to violence, but to nonviolence. And that's the life, that's the example that we are given, the cruciform living or cross living, that we are to take up our cross daily, be willing to die for the sake of others. That's what we're called to. That's the kingdom of God. But are we willing to do that? Are we willing to die if, if it means, if that's what it means to follow Jesus? So the question here is, how are you resisting the pull of violence, fighting against the myth of redemptive violence, moving toward praying for those who persecute you, blessing those who curse you, loving your enemy, cruciform living? In virtually every movie we see, the theme, any action movie, there's the theme of redemptive violence that we can redeem by overpowering the other. And all that happens is it causes anger and bitterness in the other. Yeah, you may succeed, you may win the war, which we've seen over and over again, doesn't spell the end of anything. Because what's being festered? As we look at the Russian and Ukraine conflict right now, what's happening on both sides? There's anger, there's bitterness that's going to go on for generations now because of all the killing, all the destruction that it's going to continue to, to be a message to each, each side, but especially Ukrainians, look what they did to us. And now you have this us-them thing. Christianity, there is no borders. There is no Christian nation. The kingdom of God encompasses the whole earth. There are people fighting, I would believe, in Russia right now, who are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Sadly, but they are doing that. There there are people in the Ukraine who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, who are shooting, killing other brothers and sisters in Christ. When we are a Christian, it's about the kingdom of God. It's not about any nation. There are no borders. It's about us loving one another and loving, loving those who Christ died for, those who are creating God's image. Are we willing to fight against violence that we so easily condone? Are we willing to call out the lie of redemptive violence and hold up a redemptive cross, redemptive suffering? Are we willing to move beyond tit-for-tat retaliation to praying for those who persecute us, blessing those who who curse us, loving our enemies? So the question again to you is, I guess not just how are are you doing this? 
This is something God's calling you into. Among, among conservative Christians, it's interesting that a lot of times we have trouble or, or are vocal about um, sex scenes in movies or, or illicit kind of things in movies. I'm talking about PGR movies. But, we, but you never hear anything about the violence that's rampant. That, that is, is giving us a message of, of what it means to, to deal with situations. Revenge, vengeance. All things that God, Jesus is against, all things that Paul speaks against. But we're easily given into that mindset. So we turn to war. We turn to, to use the use of weapons. And we don't turn to Christ. Okay, the next mirror. Exclusion from community. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among wheat and went away. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. This is an intriguing passage. For again, oftentimes we want to point out, that's a weed, that's a weed, that's a weed, that's a weed. And their story isn't over, for one thing, because they're still with us. But here in this passage, it says, don't even do that. Water both. Befriend both. Love both. And then when the time comes, God will take care of it. It's not our responsibility. But again, we tend to rush in with judgment. We, we tend to rush in with, with, with our own personal list of this is what a Christian does, this is what a Christian doesn't do. And then judge people on the basis of that and sometimes get them out of, of fellowship with us rather than saying, okay, what's it mean to love these people? What's it mean to care for them? And it, it doesn't mean there's not a time for discipline, but let's not quickly go to that place. Let's ask ourselves, how do we love this person? What is God inviting us into? I mean, one of the people that Jesus chose for his 12 was the one who was going to betray, betray him. And it says Jesus loved him to the end. Still loved him. Still was there for them. Still even at the last minute, okay, are you going to do it or not? Jesus models that for us. Jesus models, you know, he's, his biggest thing is with these, the Pharisees. But in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to him and Jesus says, all right, let's talk. Not once, but twice he explains the whole thing to Nicodemus. So even, even Jesus, who, who knew the Pharisees, for the most part stood against them, still treated individuals as individuals. And that's what we have to, have to really fight against. Now, wherever you are on the political spectrum, and, and just, you know, politics is not the answer to anything, but wherever you are, those people are not thems. Those people on either side are those created in God's image. Those loved by God. Those that Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. And we have to be really careful if we're going to dip our toe into politics to not transform people into thems. I don't care, again, what side you're on. What's it mean to love them? What's it mean to be quick to, to listen? Slow to speak, slow to anger. That we might love them into the kingdom. We might love them into to, to a place of, of, of greater freedom to follow Jesus. Because we are, you know, we are byproducts of our communities. And so it's not surprising if you grew up in, in this area that you might think this. Or if you grew up in this area, you might think this. How do we, how do we bring Christ into both of those? Because both are wrong. And there's right in both. But there's only one truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. So, the injustice of exclusion from community. Then Jesus said to his host, 
When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. But even, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be paid, repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And it's sort of the same as that passage in Proverbs, that God will repay. But what do we think about that? How can we invite others into the banquet of our life? Maybe not in our home, maybe it doesn't work that way, but as we interact with people, as we, we are the banquet of Jesus, as we carry that into a grocery store, into a parking lot, into our car, how do we share that banquet with others? My wife's really good at this. She'll, she'll see someone go, I need to give them something. So then she'll go to the store, she'll do something, then come back and, and get out and give it to them. It's like, oh, here you, you know, here you go, hopefully this helps you out. Um, and it's usually, you know, some kind of food, fruit, fruit or vegetables, something like that. Um, and then and one, one time she came in the car, one of our vacation trips, and I said, I said this, did you ask them their name? And she had. But now we do. Because when you, when you ask their name, when you give them something, that's great. But when you ask their name, now they are a person. They're an individual. They're seen. And you use that name to call them, call them by name. And suddenly, you are now part of their community. They're part of your community, at least for that moment. And they're, they're valued. They have worth. Because you've called them by their name. As God calls us by name. And so who are the people that God is inviting you? What's, what are the questions there, actually? I crossed mine out. Oh, here's a quote first. Um, oh, yeah, that's what I did. This is a quote from Brian Stevenson. If you could ever hear this guy speak, it is well worth your time. Any podcast you see his name on, listen to this guy. He's a Christian who fights for those. He wrote Just Mercy, fights for those predominantly on, on, on death row. And has been doing it for forever since you graduated. But, it, but his faith is, is just so powerful. And he's, he's, he's leveraged his, he does have a platform. And he's leveraged it in some spectacular ways to build a museum. I think it's in Montgomery. Or two museums in Montgomery. Um, one, one about lynching. The other one's just about the civil rights movement that are extraordinary. If you're ever there, it's worth seeing. But anyway, he says this. Each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. I just want to stop that there for a moment. Isn't that a great reminder for each of us? Each of you are, are more than the worst thing you ever did. Sometimes that's what we get fixated on. No, mercy says that's not true. And sometimes it says in, in Sermon on the Mount, be merciful. Um, Blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. And, and sometimes it needs to begin with us. We need to give mercy to ourselves. It's already been given to us, but we need to own it. That, that God sees us through these eyes of mercy and grace. Remember in the gospel, grace and mercy are basically the same thing. That's how God sees us. We need to see ourselves that way. That we're beautifully and wonderfully made. And that whatever is the worst thing we ever did, that doesn't define us. What defines us is what God has done on our behalf. Then he goes on, my work with the poor and the incarcerated has persuaded me that the opposite of poverty is not wealth. The opposite of poverty is justice. Finally, I've come to believe that the true measure of our commitment to justice, the character of our society, our commitment to the rule of law, fairness, and equality cannot be measured by how we treat the rich, the powerful, the privileged, and the respected among us. The true measure of our character is how we treat the poor, the disfavored, the accused, the incarcerated, and the condemned. I mean, the last sentence is basically Luke 4.18. Jesus saying, these are the people I've come to. This is what God looked to in the Old Testament, and this is what the prophets would rail against when this wasn't true of Israel. 
And the same goes for our church, but also I would say in the places that we live, are we, imp- are we voices for those individuals, the poor, the disenfavored, the accused, the incarcerated? There's going to be an election coming in 2024. I don't know if you've heard about it or not, but it's for president of the United States. And you will hear this phrase from probably many of those who will be running, um, at least in the primaries. Will you be better off four years from now with me as your leader or so-and-so as your leader? As a Christian, that's not our question. I don't need to be better off four years from now. Are the poor going to be better off four years from now? Are the oppressed going to be better off four years from now? Are the incarcerated going to be better off four years from now? Are the foreigners going to be better off four years ago, four years from now? That's our mandate. That's what we're called to as those who are following Jesus. So what is a just society? It's a society that takes care of the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the poor, the immigrant. That was the standard of the Old Testament, the standard of Jesus. So the question is, the mirror that we want to look at and answer this question, the mirror is, is the injustice of exclusion from community. How are you including loving the excluded, dehumanized, defranchised, discarded? How are you including loving the excluded, the dehumanized, the disfranchised, the discarded? Again, never about condemnation, just about awareness. Okay, final slide. Or near the final slide, anyway. Anyone, this takes us all the way back from the beginning. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the four mirrors that we've looked at today. And we trust that you will, if you haven't, will reveal something to us in each of those areas. And then which one that you may want us to work on, that you may call us to be a champion of. We know, God, that you are gentle, that you are loving and kind, open to you and to your word in transformative ways, that the world would be different because we are in this world. The world would be different because we are giving or we are fleshing out the kingdom of God, the now, not yet of your kingdom. May the world be different because we are different being salt and light to those around us, sharing love, grace, and mercy to those that we journey with. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, next steps. Um, And then Annie will review these. So just, you can look at them, read them yourself. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, know my heart. And that might be the place to begin. If you haven't heard anything today, it's like, okay, God, show me if there's any hurtful way in me. Now look at those in the injustice of greed, the injustice of domination, the injustice of violence, the injustice of exclusion from community. God, is there something that you're inviting me into with intentionality and foresight? All right.